0: Thanks for listening, and thanks for your interest in learning from mistakes. I'm Mark Rabin. Did you know I can help your organization on this journey of cultivating a culture of learning and innovation? I can be a trainer, coach, and advisor on topics including psychological safety, problem solving, and continuous improvement. I can add value to your management team meetings by speaking and facilitating discussions on these important topics. To learn more, visit markgraben.com or email me, mark at markgraben.com. Let's improve together. Episode 22, Karen Martin, founder of TKMG Academy, author of books including Clarity First.
1: I'm going to take it back to when I decided to leave corporate and go out on my own. And uh, what had happened was I was being groomed to be a vice president.
0: Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. We're joined today by Karen Martin. Um, She is the president of TKMG. More recently, she's founder and president of TKMG Academy. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. She's the author of a number of books, award-winning books, uh, including The Outstanding Organization and Clarity First. So I think we're going to have a great conversation. And uh, Karen, thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me on. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm excited to hear your story. I'm sure it's a a, a good, good story. I'm sure you've been reflecting on it. So what would you say, Karen, is your favorite mistake?
1: I'm going to take it back to when I decided to leave corporate and go out on my own. And uh, what had happened was I was being groomed to be a vice president and I wanted very badly to be a vice president in title back then. Um, And you know, I. It was interesting that in re- reflecting reflecting back on it, how much it was about the title, and how much I, you know, eventually deviated from that, and, and that wasn't important. But what happened was, um, I was about to be named vice president over a new what would be like a mini division of the organization. And I just, it just wasn't feeling right on so many levels. I'd been there four years. We built this thing from ground up, it was very, very fast paced, very rapid growth. I was exhausted. And, um, it just, the, the responsibilities I was going to have didn't really feel right. And I went home on a Friday night after my last compensation conversation and was driving back to my then apartment in Santa Monica on the ocean. And I was like, I just, it just doesn't feel right. So I got up all the groceries for the weekend, locked myself in. And I thought and thought and thought and thought reflected. Mm -hmm. I went in on Monday morning and resigned. And everybody was shocked. I was the first employee hired for this particular branch of a larger company that had started. And I, you know, like I put my heart and soul into the organization and almost immediately I learned that it was going to go public and I was going to be losing out on a fair amount of stock and, and financial gain from that. Um, and, but but what happened was ac- actually after I resigned, the COO, who I was really uh, good friends with and was my boss, you know, told me that I would hate consulting. He asked me what I was going to do, and I said, I don't know. I guess consulting. And, uh, and he said, you're going to hate that. You like to control everything, and you mm-hmm. won't have any control. And I took that to heart. And um, he ended up being a little bit right on that for the first couple years of consulting. But what happened through that, so I made—I felt like I made the mistake of leaving when I did, once they went public and there was all this stuff. But then I realized, you know, it's really not ultimately about money. It, it really isn't. It's really about happiness and loving your work. And I came to absolutely love consulting, would not ever want to change it for anything. And so it seemed like a mistake at a time, but it really wasn't. It, it turned out very well.
0: Well, that's good, and um, yeah, maybe we can we can dig into the story a little bit. So, if I if I heard you right, you learned about this IPO after you had resigned. Is yes, that right. Yes, and I was
1: gone for a couple of months. I think I, I don't remember uh, the exact time frame. But so, I was I was gone, and and everyone, of course, called me and said, "Karen, why'd you leave?" And I said, "Oh my."
0: Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure if you'd learned about it like immediately after where you, there was an opportunity to reconsider. No, it didn't No, work.
1: no, it was it was long enough afterwards that, I mean, I, I don't know what would have happened. That's an inter, interesting question. What would have happened if I called them up, said, so can I come back? Um, I probably wouldn't have qualified for it, though.
0: Maybe we'll start a podcast series called What Would Have Happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. I like that. I love this podcast theme, by the way.
0: Well, so, so say more about that. Um, oh, what I love. Oh. Of favorite mistakes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's interesting to think about life in different framing it different ways and mistakes is one way to frame it. And the other way to frame it and I, you know, view this way in business and working with clients too, is that, you know, it's a, it's a pearl, it's a gem, it's a, you know, a lesson. Lessons are always good and they're not always, you know, easy and it can be quite painful at times, but we don't grow hardly at all. When life is just easy breezy, you know, we grow when we get thrown a curveball, or we rethink things and we see the outcomes of some of our actions or words or whatever. And, um, so I, I tend not to be someone that thinks about, um, life in terms of mistakes, Mm -hmm. rather just, you know, a gap, you know, to be closed in the case of business and things like that. And, um, but that is one that I thought about for many years mm-hmm. and um, it really wasn't until you invited me on. I started really thinking back and reflecting and thinking that was, that was a big one that it really hurt at the time. Mm-hmm.
0: But I guess like, you know, like uh, it, it, it turned out for the better. Um, I'm, I'm curious to explore a little bit your, your colleague or whoever it was who said, Karen, you'll hate consulting. what, mm-hmm what was that what were those first couple years like and and how did you get past maybe some sort of discomfort or was it just a matter of being new to consulting or did you make some changes in your consulting approach that led you to to be more comfortable with it
1: yeah good question so i think one thing was that i what had been internal and i had been you know overseeing a pretty large area so i did have control over what we did or didn't do and and things like that and um, it was hard to go into a consulting role and see so clearly, you know, what could, what the potential actually is. And, and maybe learning that the clients just weren't there yet. And they weren't, you know, and I mean, I, this is, I'm saying it in past tense it's present tense too. They're just not there yet. And so one of the things that I learned to do, I think quite successfully is to meet the client where they're at. Hmm. And, you know, early in my consulting. So I've been at it now 20, uh, 25, six years. Um, And I early on, it was, you know, my agenda in a way, because I saw the potential. And then, you know, I had to just go through years of understanding that's not my role. You know, it's not my agenda, it's their agenda, meet them where they're at. And, um, and so, you know, I had to relax. And once I relaxed into that, it's actually really liberating, you know, to be able to see the potential and be a good teacher and explain, you know, what life could be like, and then let the client, you know, kind of make a decision on their own on whether they want to go there or not. And then if they don't want to go there, it's not on me, you know, really, if I've done a good job as a teacher, it's really just they're just not there yet. It's not the right timing or, or whatever it might be. So I find it actually, um, you know, quite quite liberating in a way to not have that need to control. I had lots of control issues way back when. Many would argue I still do, but boy, not compared to before.
0: (laughs) Different mistake.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I had a tremendous fear of flying and it was all about control. And I had a I was in mental health business, behavioral health business for a while. And I was flying to a meeting with the psychiatrist that was our medical director. And he just like nailed it. He's like, oh, you have white knuckle flying. And I said, yes, I do. He goes, you're afraid of your that's fear of control. I mean, that's fear of giving up control um, almost always. I said, really? And I started thinking about it. It's like, yeah, I didn't trust the pilot. Mm. And um and so once I started you know giving over my fear to the pilot, I love flying. I miss it so much during COVID.
0: Right, right. Do, I mean, do do you feel the same way if you're in the back of an Uber or a Lyft or a town car, or a taxi?
1: No, for some reason I know what the math is, but for some reason I think it's just <laughs> so much more dire if the pilot makes a mistake than yeah. if a driver makes a mistake. That uh, no, I don't have any backseat driving tendencies. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about your books and the things that you shared in those books. The thing that things that you've learned in doing the research. So you know, looking at your book, the outstanding organization. Are there things that come to mind, um, even you know, directly or tangentially from your book and what? you view as an outstanding organization the traits and characteristics do you see connections to the ideas of being open about mistakes or learning from mistakes or reflecting
1: yeah hugely um you know one of the organizations i profile in the book toward the end is the blue angels mm-hmm. and you know they they just really embody every element of what i feel is an outstanding organization which i broke into clarity focus discipline and engagement and boy they Nail that, all four of those. And um, and one of the things that they're really good at and all the other organizations that you know I've worked with or had an opportunity to visit and things like that, um, that really do excel are ones that embrace problems. Um, they're not hiding them. Um, it's, you know, it's a, the wise leader is saying all the time, you know, what's not working well? You know, what do we need to work on? And those kinds of things. So yeah, I, I think there's a, a pretty strong tie between performance and the ability and interest in seeing errors of or defects of any sort, which a mistake
0: technically is. Sure. Yeah. And I think you know, we're, the, we're of the same mindset when um, there's not a culture when people where uh, they feel safe, if they don't feel safe to speak up about mistakes, it just drives things underground and then we don't learn and we can't really become an outstanding organization if we're not making progress that way. So it seems like the, the those cultural foundations are really important.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that kind of ties this all together, the, this whole concept of clarity, which is a book that you're probably gonna mention as well, you mm-hmm. know, the, the clarity of knowing the truth about a situation mm-hmm. is quite liberating, even if it's a very difficult truth. Um, and organizations that hide problems are just very content living in a very ambiguous, environment and that's and not only is it soul sapping it's it's very bad on productivity you know every minute or every second you spend trying to figure things out is a minute that you're not adding value to a customer sure. and it really adds up over time so i think a lot of you know disengaged employees are just tired of trying to figure stuff out that if you just shine a light on on everything you know whether it's good or bad Um, it's just, you know, it's a much easier place to be. I heard this thing yesterday. Oh, it was Lean Enterprise Institute. Yesterday's Mm -hmm. post said something about WX. It's like a a riff on customer experience, CX, Mm -hmm. and work experience. I was like, I love that. That is, that should be the new thing. Like we should really be talking about the work experience and hiding problems um, and mistakes and dealing with them in punitive ways is not at all a recipe for outstanding performance.
0: Right. And yeah, you use that word punitive. Um, I was going to come back to when you we were talking about the characteristics um, that you talked about in your book, The Outstanding Organization, discipline. Like It's interesting that that word, like many words, has a couple of different meanings, right? There's the I'm going to discipline somebody, right. to discipline them for a mistake, whether it's really the fault of an individual or more often than not, you know, why are we disciplining an individual for a systemic problem? But then there's being disciplined. And right. I think it's great when you see an organization where, um, where people are disciplined about problem solving, disciplined about re- taking time to reflect in informal ways. Um, well, I mean, what are your thoughts around? Um, so, you know, the, the other book Karen wrote was um, Clarity First. Does reflection help provide clarity? Are there specific methods that you're a fan of for reflection, or is it? Kind of an informal process.
1: Yeah, I, um, reflection to me can be as easy and quick as you know just taking a moment to reflect on the conversation you just had, the email you just read, um, anything like that. it can be it could be really kind of woven into everyday life. or it can be as formal as I think Bill Gates you know commonly took off by a week or two to go and reflect and, and you know plan for the future and things like that, which is just lovely if you can do that. And I guess we all could do it, uh, if we choose to do it maybe, yeah. um, but then everything in between. And so, yes, you, you have to reflect to get clear. There's no way to get clear if you're not you know, taking data that's coming at you all the time and, mm-hmm. and making sense of it. I mean, that's kind of what reflection is, is making sense of all this data we're getting. And, um, and you can't do it when your mind's noisy. Um, and so you have to do it when you're quiet and you Mm -hmm. distractions are away, phones off and reflecting on everything. And leader standard work is a, you know, a nice disciplined approach, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to build that reflection into a leader's day week, month, year, quarter, whatever. And it's critical for, and, and that's how we learn from our mistakes, quote unquote, too. You know, it's like, reflecting back on what didn't work well um, is so critical.
0: Yeah, I mean, it can be as easy as um, doing a plus delta at the end of a meeting or at the end of a workshop. What went well? What could have been better? Um, You know, looking for those learning opportunities. Um, You know, there's one model that I've been exposed to of of asking, you know, um, and thinking back to what did you expect to happen? what actually happened. Okay. And then was there a difference between those two? If so, why was that difference there? What do we learn from it and what would we do differently next time? You know, I think that thought process provides um, interesting structure and it's type of thing that, you know, I'll I'll give credit to the firm value capture for this and I'm not sure who they learned it from, but it's type of thing you can put up uh, on a single piece of paper or a single slide just to prompt uh, having a you know a little structure instead of just saying, okay, let's reflect. Sometimes people don't know how to articulate that, so I think it's interesting to look at different models for reflection. And
1: yeah, of- what I like about that model too is that it kind of um, heightens your sensitivity to the fact that people have expectations. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I'm not sure that expectations are always hyper healthy, but admitting them. And talking about the delta between the expectation and what happened, I I think, is very, very healthy. And um, and it can certainly surface a whole lot of misperception and miscommunication and all of that, which is, again, you know, the muck that we have to clean away in order to get a clear path and, and find our way to clarity.
0: Yeah. So there's, you know, expectations or we could use language like um, predictions or Mm -hmm. hypothesis what was your hypothesis you know that sounds a little wonky or you know you have a science background so you're comfortable with language
1: yeah and you know what it's really interesting you know once once we finally figured out problem solving um and started teaching it we mean the collective improvement leadership lean community the 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 collective group once we started talking and framing about it in scientific terms I was really nervous that people would be kind of a little, oh, that sounds, you know, scary. But I, over and over, I find people at all levels of organizations kind of into it. They they like that idea of a hypothesis because remember that the old way of not having a hypothesis is this is going to work, you know, <laughs> and this way is pretty liberating because it's like we think that this might work. Let's try it, and see if it works, and then if it doesn't work it's not set in cement. We right. go back to something else. So it's a great way to get people that would otherwise be resistant to change mm-hmm. to kind of go along on the journey. And um, it just makes so much sense. And it's scientific, yeah. even though science is much more right now. Right. I mean, by some, yeah. <laughs> by some. By some. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't know how you do that. Science is, is pretty darn good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of um, testing, And seeing what happens that that you know in in some corporate settings there's this um, this craving for certainty, right? And you know um, uh, you know people get tasked with go prove that this is working. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like good science,
1: right? You know, I make a comment in in Clarity First that you know it's really important to make sure that you don't commingle certainty with clarity because they're not the same, and it's Mm -hmm. it's very unusual to have certainty i mean there's really not a whole lot in life that you can say i am certain (laughs) because it doesn't work that way and so if you can heighten people's sensitivity to the fact that they're even operating from that mindset then you know that can free them up to be more hypothesis thinkers Mm -hmm. and um and experimenters and and that's good for everybody
0: yeah so can, can you elaborate a little bit on the difference um Definitions, the way you see it, certainty versus clarity. It seems like certainty is I know what's going to happen in the future.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. How would you explain that? And then
1: Um, a good question. So I I think of certainty as being a form of arrogance Mm-hmm. Um, because we can't actually ever be certain. I mean, we can be certain once facts present and you've got a pattern, you can inch your way towards certainty, but you're mm-hmm. never really certain. Um, and I think that's a fallacy that it, even in problem solving, I think it's a fallacy that you want it. You have to get yourself all the way to a point of certainty before you do anything um, and it, there, you're right, there's such a corporate mindset on it must be, it has to work, mm-hmm. you know, and the, this pressure for perfection and things like that, that just aren't realistic. And so when leaders um, embrace that certainty doesn't exist, right. um, but thoughtful experimentation, we're not suggesting you just, you know, throw spaghetti on the wall and see if it if it sticks, it's like it's thoughtful mm-hmm. experimentation based on data, then um, then certainty. people can kind of relax and not be so hung up on certainty. To me, clarity is, you know, the opposite of clarity is ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And so clarity I, I define as it's it's information, um, any kind of information. It could be visual, it could be verbal, whatever, that's um, coherent. You know, it kind of hangs together. There's not people going, hmm you know, that that's a sign that there's not coherence. It's precise. So there's not a lot of guessing that you have to do. It's not a lot of hard work figuring things out. And it's elegant. So Mm -hmm. it's easy. Those are the three definitions I came up with when I was writing the book on what clarity is so or the 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 elements of clarity or the conditions. uh, that clarity has.
0: Yeah. So it seems like, um, may I just repeat back? Tell me if I've uh, if I've got this. So if we're thinking about launching some sort of initiative in an organization, somebody might have unfounded certainty that it's going to be a success. And then if you ask, well, how do we know? How, how is that initiative working? And if someone says, well, I feel like it's going well, that's more ambiguity <laughs> where right. where clarity would come from data or facts or. Right. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cer- certainly subjective that. I feel. And you know, the other thing that we see a lot, and, and you've seen this too, when you're doing any kind of analysis, very often people believe that there's a far more frequent situation than it actually bears out in the data because bad things feel more frequent. They're, they they occupy our attention. They command our attention differently than easy does and and things going well. And so painful things do feel a lot more frequent. So. You, know, you can be going down a root cause analysis path and people think they know. and uh, and because it feels that way. And when you look at data, it's like, oh, that so wasn't the root cause. Sure, sure. Um, and and it's it's just I love that stuff. I you know it's just so fun to to get people's light bulbs going on when they go, you know, I was operating with a bias or an assumption, or from a place of kind of arrogant, you know, mm-hmm. thinking I know when I don't, and and things like that. It's it's I love that part of the work.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great lessons there. So again, um, again, our guest is um, Karen Martin. Um, Karen, um, before we wrap up, uh, maybe you can tell us, tell the audience about TKMG Academy, um, what that is, how that sort of builds upon. Your, your previous and ongoing work through uh, your firm T- TKMG. Sorry, I made a mistake in saying that.
1: That's okay. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, so thank you for asking about it. it. The Academy was about 10 years in the making. I've been noodling on it for a long, 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 long time and didn't really know quite um, how I wanted to enter the online learning world. I have um, a lot of concerns about online learning and mm-hmm. I didn't want to be you know, fall prey to some of the same uh, mistakes I see others making. And, you know, online learning is tough because the, the big gap is application and it's, it's tough, but I wanted to at least be the one out there or one of the ones out there um, that is conveying really good information. So it's maybe cognitive learning initially, but it, you know, if you apply, incorrect information then that's not really helping any anybody so i wanted to at least get um you know a better deeper understanding about different topics and different methods and practices than maybe what's out there and um i i think we're i think we're doing it i i I, the feedback's been very good and um it's i'm very excited for 2021 and what we've got you know kind of up our sleeve for 2021 and um yeah, it's 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 been a long time in the making. We launched on April second, right after the pandemic hit, right. and so it was very scary to launch during that period. But so far, so good.
0: Better than launching on April first when people. Might well,
1: <laughs> you know, I was tempted, but I thought no, that w- that would be ridiculous. <laughs> so. Um,
0: and so the uh, the model is uh, people can sign up for individual. Um, Courses, what what are some of the topics that that people can go and uh, sign
1: up for? We launched with the the kind of basic four that I thought were the ones to launch with. um, Value and waste, standard work, problem solving, uh, PDSA-based, and um, daily management systems. Mm -hmm. So we launched with those four. And now we have... um, eight, soon to be 10 that are out. And so, you know, we have a leadership level one leader standard work now. Um, I'm about to launch, well, not about, probably another month from now, problem-solving coaching, which mm-hmm. was very interesting. So what I did with that one is I'm actually trying to be both the, the coach and the coachee, you know, so both the coach and the problem solver or problem owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we'll, we'll find out if people think I have. <laughs>
0: You have different, different I clothes or glasses. Yeah. You...
1: <laughs> it's hard because I was on camera instructor on that one. And you have, you know, I had to use voice a little bit. Yeah. And um, to make sure people knew because they're not reading. Right. And so make sure they knew which hat I was wearing at, at any given time. So it's a little experimental. We'll see, <laughs> see how it goes.
0: Well, good. And uh, I'll make sure there's a link um, to, to all of that in the show notes. But the, uh, the website is
1: tkmgacademy.com.
0: Okay. Very good. So um, Karen, thank you so much for uh, being a guest here. Our, again, our guest has been um, Karen Martin and I um, encourage you to check out, you can find uh, all of her books, um, The Outstanding Organization, Clarity First, many others. Final question I'm going to throw, another book. I know you're focused on the Academy. Is there another book possibly coming out of you?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not working on one right now. I have about five in mind. I don't know. It, it's, um, it's a good question. I, I don't know yet. Uh, I have one that's kind of top of mind, mm-hmm. but I don't really have the bandwidth for it right now. Sure. So we'll see.
0: All right. Fair yeah. enough. Well, Karen, Hey, thank you so much for sharing your favorite mistake and having a really good conversation. Um, some really important topics here.
1: Thank you for having me. This is a great podcast series. I love it. Thank right. you. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is MyFavoriteMistakePodcast.com. See you next time.